Welcome back to Fracktown Gumshoe, an audio mystery featuring Niccolo Fitzhugh, based on the novels by Deborah K. Gaskill at DebraGaskillNovels.com. Season 1, Call Fitz, Chapter 8. Elliot was picked up in Akron after a half-dressed woman, bleeding from facial wounds, ran screaming from a cheap motel into the street where a passing cruiser rescued her, according to the story. The officer made an attempt to flee in his vehicle. A short chase ended when he hit a parked car six blocks away. He had scratches on his face and arms and was carrying his badge. The report from the Akron Police Department identified their suspect as Reno Elliott. The paper didn't have a mug shot, but instead ran his FPD shot from the department website. It was hard to reconcile the picture of the smiling cop sitting in front of the American flag with what I knew. The victim was a known drug addict and prostitute with an extensive record. Elliot met her at the corner and allegedly beat her after sex. She suffered facial fractures and two broken ribs, the story said. I looked over at Ambrosi. This doesn't look good for Elliot, but it looks good for our case, I said. You think Elliot killed Gina, he asked? I think there's too many things which could tie him to the murder, at least circumstantially. I filled him in on what I'd found out. He's got a checkered career at best, and now he's been arrested for beating the shit out of some working girl. We'll be stirring up a hornet's nest if we accuse a cop of murder. You know that, don't you? Ambrosi didn't look like he had the backbone. What are you afraid of, I asked. If you're too afraid to do what it takes to get your client off, you don't need to be in this business. Ambrosi squirmed. Or is this why you're paying me? Because you haven't got the balls. You don't think Jacob Poole has anything to do with this? Ambrosi asked. I'm not sure. He showed me a picture on his phone. He says he was at a birthday party for his daughter, supposedly at his sister's house. I spoke to Charlie Horton, a member of Road Anarchy. He said he was at the birthday party, but, but wouldn't come in to talk to me. If I were you, I'd subpoena the photo and depose Charlie Horton as fast as I could. I'd see if somebody could find where that photo was taken and if the timestamp is accurate. If it turns out that Charlie's telling the truth and the photo is accurate, then pulls off the hook. So what happened to your face? I filled him in on Rivera, including the shooting in the alley, his alleged post-mortem appearance at Puccini's coffee shop, along with his previous acquaintance with Elliot. What does he have to do with this case? Maybe a lot. Maybe nothing at all. I think that the word went out from the jail straight to Chief Monroe that I was investigating this case. Monroe's out to get me. He has been for a long time. Over what? It's a long story. One that doesn't make either of us look very good. Anyway, I think Monroe heard him on the case, and he panicked. Everybody knows Chief Monroe is wrapped up with who his wife is doing on a daily basis. Half the folks on the force would love to see Monroe lose his job, and if it's over a dirty cop especially one who commits murder. So much the better. Ah, yes, Mrs. Monroe. I've heard quite a bit about her. Not a good situation for a man like the chief. I just grimaced. I'm betting he thinks Rivera's intimidation will shake me off the case. Ambrosi exhaled the smoke from his acrid cigar towards the ceiling and nodded. I couldn't tell if he was worried about casting aspersions or if he'd suddenly developed a spine. You need to talk to Reno Elliott, especially if we want to present evidence to clear my client. 
Elliot was being held at the East Crozier Street Jail in Akron, about an hour from Fawcettville. Males and females were held at five interconnected diamond-shaped pods surrounded by razor wire and a neighborhood that had seen better days. Because he was a cop, Elliot was being held in isolation for his own protection. He sat across from me in the visiting bay, separated by bulletproof glass. He looked like he'd had the shit beat out of him. His angular brown face had long fingernail scratches down each cheek. There were abrasions on his muscular arms and on the side of his shaved head. His knuckles were still bloody. I wondered how much of the damage came from the hooker and how much of it came from the crash and his apprehension. If he hadn't been so roughed up, I guess I could have seen how someone, Alicia Lennerman, for example, might even think he was handsome. We picked up the receivers to talk. Who the fuck are you, he asked. They didn't tell you my name before they brought me back here? Yeah, I don't know any Nick Fitzhugh. I'm a P.I. I'm looking into what happened to Gina Cantalini, and your name keeps coming up. How's that? His lip curled sarcastically. You broke up a fight between the victim and her boyfriend Saturday night at the Italian festival. So? You were also heard demanding a blowjob from the victim before she died. Elliot smirked, but he didn't answer. Another thing, Officer Elliot, I'm a retired cop. One thing I and my other law enforcement brothers and sisters don't take too kindly to is assholes like you who tarnish the badge. Reno leaned into the glass, his fist tightly clutching the phone receiver that linked us. Listen, I don't know why you're here, and frankly, I don't care. I'm here because... I've put some things together about you, and they could make you a pretty likely murder suspect. I know what kind of cop you are. I know you've bounced from department to department because you're either too stupid to do what you're told, or you're one of those arrogant dicks who thinks a gun and a badge is a license to break all the rules. I leaned in closer, too. I knew the conversation was being recorded, and I wanted the jailers to catch every word. I think this girl who got away from you wasn't your first... I think you'd like hitting women, particularly the powerless ones who won't or can't fight back. I think you found a sad drunk in Gina Cantalini and you made her your target. I waited for him to say something, but he didn't. So I kept going. You think you have a built-in alibi for the night she died when you were seen breaking up a fight between her and Atwater, but you were overheard giving your opinion on their worthiness to walk this earth. That water might be an asshole and a loser, too, but he's got as much right to oxygen as Gina did. Elliot leaned back slightly, but his expression didn't change. I think you wanted something from the victim, and you went looking for her that night. Only this time, what you wanted from her was something she got tired of giving you, and she fought back. And when she fought back, it pissed you off like it does any time someone stands up to you, just like the working girl here. So you killed her. You choked her when she wouldn't shut up, and then you shot her. To cover your tracks, you dumped her body back at the festival, where enough people saw her arguing with Michael Atwater to hang him for the crime. Elliot leaned back towards the glass. You think you can make that stick? Talk to my lawyer. And could that lawyer be Alicia Linnerman? You got her con too, Reno? You hit on her? You keep Alicia out of this. The only thing I haven't gotten figured out about this whole thing is where you did it. And I'm not going to stop until I do. Elliot slammed the receiver down and called for a guard to escort him back to his cell.
Back in Fossettville, I stopped at the prosecutor's office, which was on the second floor of the county courthouse. The courthouse was across the street from the Civil War Monument in the center of town, a block away from my office, a big Romanesque limestone building. Each of the three public entrances flanked with a pair of Neptune statues staring blankly at those who come through the door. The prosecutor's office entrance faced the white marble staircase that led upstairs to the courtrooms. I stepped through the door. The spring sunshine shone through a pair of arched stained glass windows, shining blue, green, and purple hues down a row of clerical workers, kept from the public by a rail and a gate, moved there from the last courtroom remodel. Dennis Lance, the prosecutor, had an office to the left of the entrance, behind a big carved mahogany door. I knew from experience the four assistant prosecutors had individual cubicles in the office to the right of the entrance. A large wooden door frame showing a pyramid of each staff member's photo hung on the door above their names, which were engraved on brass plaques. Lance's, look at me, I'm your next judge face, was at the top of the heap. Alicia Lennerman's photo started at the next row. Her face wasn't what I thought she'd be. She was neither the tall, gorgeous TV lawyer in expensive suits, nor the lonely, overweight woman desperate for a man, but a plain-faced, competent-looking blonde with glasses and a welcoming smile. I pointed at the photo. I want to see her. I'm sorry, Miss Lineman is in meetings for the remainder of the afternoon, the secretary said. It's 4.30, 30 minutes isn't long. I'll wait till she comes out, I said, seating myself. The meetings aren't here, she said firmly. They're off-site. I stood up and pulled a business card from my sweatshirt pocket. Got it. Please tell her that I stopped by. Will do, Mr. Fitzhugh, she said, accepting the card. Back outside the courthouse, I leaned against one of the majestic maples on the courthouse lawn watching the employee entrance. At five o'clock, right on schedule, a female matching Alicia Letterman's photo came out of the secured door and walked to her car. Off-site, my ass. I got a good look at her and followed at a safe distance. She may have had bad taste in men, but she didn't look at all like the lonely cat lady I'd first imagined. She was medium height, a little plump, but in a good way. She was wearing a pair of oversized sunglasses and a very lawyerly navy suit. Parking wasn't easy in downtown Fawcettville. Most everyone coming to the courthouse, including the employees, had to find a spot in the adjacent lot. Only the judges and other elected officials were lucky enough to have a designated curbside parking. Lucky for me, Alicia Lennerman's car was parked just one row over from my excursion. Even luckier... Her bright yellow Volkswagen Beetle made it easy to follow her through what passed for rush hour traffic. I followed Alicia to her home. She lived in the only swank apartment complex in the hills overlooking Fawcettville, a complex where the muckety-mucks and wannabes lived before they decided to move on to bigger things or to put money down on a house. I parked on the street and watched which apartment she went into before sprinting up the sidewalk and knocking on her door. She threw the door open, smiling like she was expecting someone else holding a glass of white wine in her hand. A big gray mastiff ran out from the back of the apartment growling, and I reached inside my hoodie, making sure I could touch the Glock in my shoulder holster. Down, Sadie, down, Alicia ordered, her smile gone. The mastiff sat obediently. May I help you? I pulled my hand from inside my jacket and handed her a business card. Miss Linnerman? I'm Nick Fitzhugh. I'm a private investigator. I need to ask you a few questions about Reno Elliott. May, may I come in? Sure. Is 
this about the incident in Akron or something else. I followed her into the living room, furnished in sleek hipster gray and lime furniture. Something else, sort of. Mr. Elliot and I are no longer romantically involved, no matter what he or his attorney might have told you. I'm investigating the murder of Gina Cantalini. Her body was found Saturday night under the stage at the Italian festival. I'm working for the defendant's attorney, Jim Ambrosi. I know the case. I'm not handling it, but if I were, I'd have to tell you to talk to Mr. Lance about it. I can't give you anything, especially not here. I just need to ask a few questions. Were you working at the festival when Officer Elliot broke up the fight between the victim and the defendant? I talked to the festival organizers earlier, and they said a female was working the police department booth Saturday when the fight occurred. No, they hadn't, but she didn't need to know that. Yes, I, I was. I, I was handing out neighborhood watch information. Officer Elliot did break up a fight. I saw that. And what time was that fight? Alicia shrugged and took a sip of her wine. The middle of the afternoon, two, three o'clock maybe. The man, who I later learned was Mr. Atwater, was pretty drunk. After Officer Elliot broke up the fight, my client says he fell and injured himself. Did you see him fall? No. And after that happened, how long did you work at the police booth? A couple hours, then I went home. Did Officer Elliot go with you? Was Officer Elliot with you all Saturday night? You're not looking at him as a suspect in the Cantalini murder, are you? Her directness took me by surprise. I have some information that points to him as a potential suspect, yes. He was here with me. She looked a little uncomfortable. If you're going to be a lawyer... You'd better develop a better poker face than that. You understand, then, when I ask if anyone else was here to verify that? There were others here, yes. Who? Alicia sat her wine glass down on a glass-top table. She pulled up the sleeve of her blouse, exposing her upper arm, which was marred with blue finger-shaped bruises. As you know from the incident in Akron, Reno has some issues with women. And with anger, Saturday night he accused me of sleeping with my boss, Dennis Lance, and then, then he tried to beat the shit out of me. My neighbors and half the Fawcettville police force were here. That concludes Chapter 8 of Season 1, Call Fits. Fractown Gumshoe is read and produced by Scott H. Shelton here at scottyboombox.com. Every week a new chapter will be released, so subscribe now on iTunes, or if you cannot wait that long... You can go buy the book or the ebook right now at DebraGaskillNovels.com. Thanks for listening.